Thanks, Megan. So we've been having a little technical problem here in the worship center, but I think we've got it, right? I think we'll have the uh, words. No, we don't. Maybe. We may or may not have the words on the screen. So um, we're in 1 John 2, verses 7 through 14. And in this passage that Megan read, uh, John models something that's very simple and yet very powerful. And so John just flat out says to his readers, I see abundant evidence of eternal life in you. I see it in the way you relate to one another, and I see it in the way that you relate to God himself. And so I'm writing so that you might know that you have eternal life. I just want you to know that I see eternal life in you. Today, I'm going to say the same thing to you at Faith E Free. Uh, that John said to his readers. That's kind of the goal of expository preaching. We want this passage to do in our lives the same thing that John wanted it to do in the lives of his readers. And so I want you to know that, that as I look at this congregation, I see abundant evidence that you know Jesus Christ. I see it in the way you relate to one another. I see it in the way that you seek after God. I just see it everywhere. And this is something that, that all believers need to hear from other believers. And, uh, and so that's what I'm going to tell you today. Now, the problem with this message, you've probably already thought of this, is that I don't know most of you personally and spiritually, okay? So I, I'm thinking of specific people, but it would be very easy for you to dismiss what I'm saying and say, yeah, that all sounds great, but if he knew me, he wouldn't be saying all these flattering things. And that's actually a, a, valid, a valid point. Therefore, I'm going to encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, sometime soon to get together with other believers that know you well and have a conversation. Just tell each other how you see signs of life. This is important for all of us. Jesus said that other people should know that we're disciples by the way we love each other. Well, we should also notice this in each other's lives. So this isn't icing on the cake when it comes to our assurance of salvation. This is part of the cake. This is part of the way that we know that we know Jesus. So in 1 John 2, verses 7 through 14, John mentions two ways that he saw signs of life in his readers. First of all, by their love for one another, and then secondly, by their spiritual health in different stages of life. And so, first of all, in verses 7 through 11, he talks about their love for one another, and he reminds them of the core command that he had brought to them when, he first, uh, when they first came to Christ. <clears throat> so, in verse 7, he says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new command, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And so there's a sense in which he wasn't bringing them a new command, but he was bringing them the same command that they had heard from the very beginning of their walk with Christ. And he identifies this old command as the word that they had heard. And that's a reference to primarily to the gospel. If you look over in chapter 3, 1 John 3, 23, John writes, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So we see a dual command there. First of all, the gospel, believe in Jesus Christ, and second of all, love one another. When we come back to the passage for today in, in 1 John 
uh, 2, it seems like John has in mind this dual commandment when he speaks of the old commandment that they had from the beginning of their walk with Christ, believe and love one another. In verse 8, John makes a very nuanced statement telling his readers that there's a sense in which this old commandment is also a new commandment. And this, this isn't an obvious contradiction John is making. It's a nuanced statement. So in verse 8, he says, at verse 7, he says, it's an old command. Verse 8, he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him, Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so what is this new commandment? Why would he say it's a new commandment? Well, he says it's a new commandment because this is what Jesus said in John 13. In John 13, 34, Jesus told his disciples this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. And then here's what's new about it. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And so there were many commands in the Old Testament to love But what's new about this command is we're to love one another the way Jesus has loved us. And so his love is new. It's unique because of who he was and where he came from. Nobody has ever loved like Jesus loved. And so this is the new commandment. He's telling his disciples, I wash your feet. I serve you. I lay down my life for you. That's how you should love one another. And so we bring that understanding back to 1 John 2, 8. And, and, and so John says it's, a, it's an old command because you've heard it from the beginning of your walk with Christ, but it's a new command in the sense that it's a whole new type of love that Jesus is, uh, is uh, drawing us into. And John says, notice what he says right in the middle of this verse. He says, this new commandment is true in him, Jesus, and in you. Do you see what he's saying there? John is telling them, and this is astounding, he's telling them not only did Jesus embody this type of love, but I see you embodying this type of love. I see you loving one another the same way that Jesus loved me. That had to be a powerful encouragement to them. I mean, John was there when Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the way he describes himself in the gospel. And so this is a powerful affirmation. We're seeing verse 10 that love is is one of the core evidences that we have eternal life. Down in verses 9 through 11, John says that our love or our lack of love is a litmus test on whether we're in the light or the darkness. And so verse 9, he says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the light. So anybody can say, I'm in the light. I know God. I'm good. I'm a believer. But John says, if you say that and you love your, you, you hate your brother, you are not in the light you are in the darkness. You don't, you don't understand at all what this, this miraculous things hap, thing that happens is when you come to Christ. And so when John talks about hating your brother, uh, he's not merely talking about Christians who are frustrated with other Christians, who are disappointed with other Christians, who have a hard time getting along with other Christians. 
That happens to all of us at different times. Uh, Many scriptures speak about how to address those things. He's talking about actual hate. He's talking about if you hate followers of Christ. And so if you love somebody, you want the best for them. If you hate somebody, you want the worst for them. He's talking about if, if you're a person who wants the worst for other Christians, you are not in the light. You're in the darkness. You do not know God who is light, God who is love. By contrast, in verse 10, he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And so if you love other believers, you don't cause other other believers uh, to stumble. You don't cause them to abandon their faith. It tends to be mean Uh, mean, judgmental, quote-unquote, Christians that make people turn away from Jesus and the church. It's mean, judgmental people that say, I want nothing to do with that. I'll find me some other religion or no religion. But loving others sacrificially, that draws people to Christ instead of pushing them away. Verse 11, he says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, that's quite a statement, right? He says, spiritually speaking, if you hate your brother, it's like you're walking, blind, you're walking around blindly in the dark and you have no clue about where you're going. But John says, I don't see that in you. I see you embodying the love command. As John affirmed his readers' love for one another, I say to you this morning, and believe me on this, I see many, many, many of you embodying this love command, okay? I mean, I just see it everywhere. You know, as a pastor at Faith, uh, I get to see things that most people don't see. And I have in mind the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? And so there is the bad and the ugly. Uh, it's, It's in every church, really every organization. And so trust me, I see it. I know that this is not a perfect church. I see pettiness and self-centeredness in myself, and I see it in some of you some of the time, okay? So believe me when I say I know that this is not the perfect church. At the same time, honestly, I would say if, if this church is a plate, you're sitting down to a meal on a plate, the bad and the ugly is the parsley, it's the garnish on the side, but the entree is the good, Honestly, I see so many of you pouring out your lives sacrificially for one another. And I I could talk specifics. I'll talk in generalities. I just want to mention a couple of things. You know, we have these recovery ministries, care and recovery ministries here at Faith, Stephen Ministry, the Divorce Care Ministry, the Heart Ministry, Grace-Based Recovery for Men and Women. So we've got these ministries, and those of you who volunteer in these ministries— I mean, I mean, you just invest massive amounts of time in people. You hear their stories. You listen to them. You pray with them. You befriend them. And those, your, your lives bear spiritual fruit. And the only reason you do this is because you're full of love. You've got too much to just keep to yourself. You want to love other people. And so you, you don't get paid for this. You don't get accolades for this. You love the way Christ loved you. Or another example, you know, we live in this, this incredibly divisive time. 
And the safest thing to do is to stay in relationship only with people that agree with you on the essentials and the non-essentials. Talking about theologically, politically, in every way. But I see so many of you staying in relationship with people that you don't agree with on on everything. Uh, Instead of being harsh with your words, instead of dividing people, instead of hurting people with your words, uh, I see you being gracious and inviting. I see you being humble and, uh, and, and teachable before other people. And that, that type of humility is rather rare in today's world. And so I see many, many of you embodying the love command, and that's a sign of life. I could, t- I could say the exact same thing to you that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 4.9, uh, Paul said, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He said, I don't need to teach you because you've been taught by God to love one another. And I see that in many of you. It's not a human type of love that you're demonstrating. It is a supernatural type of love that you're showing. And so I see that in many of you. But again, since I don't know many of you, let me encourage you to get together with believers that you know well and have this conversation. Tell them ways that you see them embodying the love command. Let them tell you ways that they see you loving others from the heart. And so one way that we come to know that we have eternal life is by hearing that type of thing from others. Next, John affirms the spiritual health among the young and the old. We see that in verses 12 through 14. And, uh, and so he's talked about their love. He saw evidence of life there. He sees evidence of life when it comes to spiritual health in all different stages in the church. And in these verses, John refers to the readers in three different ways. He refers to them as little children, as fathers, and as young men. And the term little children is used throughout 1 John to refer to the entire church, not just, you know, small children. He's talking about the whole church. And then, after he talks about the whole church, he talks about fathers and young men. And I think he's talking about those that are older, primarily age-wise, and those who are younger. And the Bible often use, uses uh, masculine language to refer to both men and women. So I take it he's talking to the older and younger in the church, uh, male and female there. But everything John affirms about his readers is evidence that they have eternal life. I mean, this, imagine getting a letter from somebody that you respected more than anybody else, and they said this. So I'm going to read the passage and just make a few brief comments. And so he says this, I am writing to you, little children, meaning all of you, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Verse 13, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he starts again, children, fathers, men, young men. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so he says to the whole church, he said, I've seen this in you. Your sins are forgiven, and you know the Father. I see all sorts of evidence that you have eternal life. 
He says the same thing to those in the church who are older. He says the same thing twice. He says, I want you to know that you are not frauds. You are the real thing. I see genuine evidence that you know Jesus Christ. And finally, he wants the younger, to know, younger uh, believers to know that he saw them as overcomers. He says, I see you having this spiritual strength, this power that comes only from God. I see you resisting the lies and the schemes of the enemy. I see you as walking in strength because the word of God abides in you. I see you fighting the good fight with powerful spiritual weapons. And so I'm impressed here that John wasn't afraid to tell them, I see these things in your lives at different stages of life. And so I just say to you, in different stages of life, those of you who are older and those of you who are younger, and all of you who are somewhere in between, these terms are relative, right? I see so much spiritual health, and I see things in your lives that just, just fill me with hope and fill me with joy. And so I want to talk just about older and younger, and uh, I hope you'll, see, you'll, you'll receive this. But like John, when I think about those who are older as faith, I, I see so many of you as people who genuinely know Jesus Christ. I see you as the real deal. You're not frauds. Your, your lives are undeniable that you know Jesus Christ. You're not grumpy old men and women, okay? You're humble and teachable and full of compassion, uh, you're not know-it-alls that nobody wants to be around, just can't stand to be around you because you're know-it-alls. Now, I, some of you, people are beating a path to your doorstep because they want you to mentor them. They want you, they want the wisdom that God has given you. You see, I see younger generations saying, I'm hungry for the wisdom and the, the life experience that you can bring to me. Those are signs of life. And that, you should be encouraged by that. You know, when I was uh, 26, Brenda was 27, I married an older woman. But I, I, uh, when, when we were that age, we moved from South Mississippi to the North Shore of Chicago. Chicago, it was like the Beverly Hillbillies, it really was. And uh, when I was up there, my first year in seminary, I had a conversation with a man who was in his 80s that I'll never forget. He said, he said something to me, it just staggered me. He told me, he said, I wouldn't trade places with you for anything. Like, really? I thought everybody who was old wanted to be young again. But, but that is not the case. He had something I didn't have, contentment. It takes a lot of work to get to be 80 years old, okay? And he didn't want to do that again. He was satisfied with his life. And so what I see in many of you who are older, and I'm old, but you're older than me, you've experienced all sorts of suffering and loss, and you persevered. Some of you have lost spouse. Some of you have lost children. Uh, some of you experienced failing health. Uh, sooner or later, all of us will. Very few people, you know, compete in an Ironman one week and then die of old age the next week. I mean, we, we all have this failing health, generally speaking. Some of you experienced all sorts of disappointments in relationships. You've experienced disappointments in your careers, financially on and on and on, and yet when I look at your lives, you haven't shaken your fist at heaven and cursed God. By and large, you say, you know, it's been hard, but God has been faithful. God has been good to me. 
What a powerful testimony I see in your lives. What an amazing thing that God has done. I talked to a man one time, he said, with tears in his eyes, he said, he said, I am done with this world. You know, I know it's all in God's timing, but I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. You don't say that unless you know God. I mean, this, this, this man knows God. There is no fear, no, no sense of shame in the presence of God. He's like, I'm ready. That's a sign of life. And so if you're older, man, I just, I just, I just thank God for you. As I think about those of you who are younger, I see in many of you the type of strength, spiritual strength, and zeal, and passion that John describes in this, uh, in this passage. And for some of you, it's, it's rather costly. It's costly relationally. You know, not everybody's family and friends loves it when you want to please God more than you want to please them. It can be threatening, and some of you have paid the price, but I see you seeking God anyway. Jesus said that I, came to, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword in the sense that he divides, he causes division when people have differing loyalties. You know, I've known a, a number of people whose walk with God peaked in college, and there was this long, slow slide. When they were in college, they were surrounded by dozens of Strong Christian friends, you have 10 or 15 hours of fellowship a day, and I mean, it's just, ah, all night prayer. Sure, I don't have class till 8 in the morning, I got time, and it's just up for anything. But they weren't prepared for life after, after college. They weren't prepared for uh, thriving in a local church. They didn't have the type of resilience that's necessary to seek God in the, the grind of a demanding career and family responsibilities. And uh, sadly, some of them are not walking with Christ anymore. But when I see so many of you that are younger, I see something very different. I see a type of spiritual strength that just amazes my generation. I see many of you cultivating a love for the church and for the body of Christ that will sustain you. I see you addressing your brokenness, your addictions, the things that have tripped you up since your childhood. You're not passively hoping, well, I hope these things get better. No, you are actively, directly seeking God and trusting Him to bring healing and wholeness to your life. And you're experiencing the grace of God. I have so much, so much hope for the body of Christ because of what I see in your lives. I see many of you persevering in the ups and downs of singleness. I see many of you persevering in the ups and downs of married life. I love what I see in your generation. And so again, whether you're young or old, I don't know many of you. And so you need to hear these types of things from people who do know you, who have seen your spiritual health. And so again, my encouragement to you, this week if possible... Get together with some, some other believers that you know well and have a conversation. Tell each other how you see signs of life in one another. Be encouraged that you might know that you know Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we ask that we would be the type of people 
who gladly encourage each other in these ways. May we not be afeard, uh, afraid of these affirmations, but God, may we be transparent with one another and just receive from one another what you desire us to know. God, thank you for the scriptures that are so rich. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for bearing with us this morning as we figure out technology. Um, we're going to continue our time of worship, so I invite you to stand. Um, we're going to sing one more song. Steve. 